All right, well, last Sunday we started a new series going through the book of Ruth. Um, the series as a whole is based in just this, this short little book. It's four chapters. And yet as we work our way through this book, we're going to find ourselves kind of being taken on a journey through a lot of the scripture. Um, it, it highlights things about Jewish culture. It makes some of the seasons and, and some of the, the various, like the, cal the Jewish calendar and some of the things that happen in Jewish life, it sort of gives us a picture of them. And we're going to see that. But even more than just seeing the cultural significance, all of those things are signs and symbols that point to our Savior Jesus. And so we're going to see how those connections are made. Um, there's a love story in this chapter. There's friendship that is highlighted in this chapter and, and in this book. And ultimately, I believe we're going to find ourselves in this story and our relationship with God. And so it's going to be exciting as we walk this out together. Last week, our focus was on uh, how we are called to hold fast to our king, to hold fast to our king. This whole series is called Hold Fast as we're working our way through, through Ruth. And we talked about holding fast to him and the importance of holding on to the name that he's given us. It's not about like the first name that you have that your parents gave you, but it's the identity that you have in Jesus. And as we looked at Naomi and her family, as they left Bethlehem in the midst of a famine and they went off to a foreign land and they encountered all kinds of loss and difficulty and struggle along the way, at the end of all of it, when Naomi was ready to return home, she had taken on the identity of being bitter. She'd actually given herself a new name. Don't call me Naomi anymore, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. And as we unpacked last week, we talked about the importance of not taking on seasons of our life, moments of struggle as, as the place we live now, as our own identity now. And we also recognize the fact that when we get stuck in those places, Jesus does this beautiful thing where he comes in and he exchanges our bitter for his sweet. He can, he can give us new life in him. And so we unpacked all of that last week. So to give you some frame of reference for this morning, we're, we're kind of diving into the middle part of chapter one. We looked at Naomi leaving. We looked at her returning bitter. But in the midst of that, there is this exchange between her and her daughters-in-law. Her sons have died. Her husband has died. And she's ready to return home. And these two daughters are from a foreign land, from Moab. And they have this exchange as she gets ready to leave. So that's where we're going to pick up, pick up the story. We're going to look at four characters in this story this morning. We're going to look at Naomi. We're going to look at one of her daughters-in-law, Orpah. And we're going to look at another daughter-in-law, Ruth. And then we're going to look at a fourth character, a hidden character that we're going to discover towards the end of this. Are you guys ready? Yep. That was a lot of opening explanation, but I wanted to give you all a frame of reference. All right, here we go. We're going to pick up in Ruth chapter 1, verse 6. And so Naomi has purposed in her heart to return to her people and her land. And so it says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and he had given them food. Verse 7. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. 
The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. So the first character I want us to see here is Naomi. Naomi. Now, I find it interesting, in light of last week's story, Naomi got a little bit maybe of a bad rap. You know, we talked about her just struggling with bitterness and brokenness and heartache over what had taken place in her life. It sounded like even her faith was beginning to be shaken a little bit. And yet, even in the midst of that, there is something so compelling about Naomi that these two daughters want to stick with her. They want to stick with her. They're drawn to her. And yet, here's Naomi in the midst of her her bitterness, her struggle, her difficulty. She's imperfect. She's got these two daughters drawn to her. Look at what a good woman she is. In the midst of her loss and sorrow, she's not saying to them, you better stick with me. Y'all need to come along and take care of me now. I'm, I'm your obligation now. I gave you my sons. I'm sorry they've died, but I'm in need now. I'm an older woman. You need to come with me. Is that her reaction? Does she talk them into coming with her to Bethlehem? No. In fact, it's the opposite. She goes out of her way to say, no, you guys stay here. Stay with your people. Stay in your country. Think of how selfless this is. In the midst of her hurt, her need, her brokenness, it would be easier for her. It would be to her benefit for these, these daughters of hers to come along. And yet she says, it's not about what I need I'm thinking about you guys. Would you stay, stay put here? The first thing I think we have to notice in this story that we can learn about friendship is this. One of the best ways that I can hold fast to my friends is actually to let them go. To live open-handed. To give the people I love the freedom to be who God's called them to be to go where God's called them to go. It, it's, it's backwards. It doesn't make sense. And yet it's this powerful thing that happens when we choose to love people by setting them free. The, the problem for many of us is we've been, we've been growing up, we've been living in a culture that has defined love as something emotional or something that I just receive. And we, we haven't really learned to recognize or celebrate love as something I do. Love is about willing the good of someone else. Paul, if I'm going to love you, that means I want what's best for you. Not what do I get out of this relationship, but man, I want what's right and good and healthy for you. And so I'm going to love you that way. Love goes outward. In fact, if we try to hold fast to love, if we try to cling to it and draw it in close, we will find it slipping through our fingers. But when we live open-handed and love is something we give away, that we give to others as a gift, we have the opportunity to experience something powerful. And we're going to see that as this story unfolds. So Naomi pours out her heart, tells them to, to stay. It's all right. You should stay. Y'all have already dealt so kindly with me. And they insist on sticking with her. They're crying. They're holding on to her. They're weeping. No, we're not going anywhere. Naomi doesn't give up. She hangs in there with this persistence to tell them to stay put. And so beginning in verse 11 now, 
Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? She starts getting really practical now. See, at first she just tells them, go home. It's better for you. Now she's like, I got to talk you into this. You need to see some things maybe you're not thinking of. And so she says, have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? The answer is no. Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She's saying, I've got nothing left to offer you. I've got nothing. There's... There is nothing but difficulty left in this relationship. The road ahead is hard. The place we're going, it's hopeless. We left it behind. We have nothing there to return to. I have nothing left as a mother to offer you. I can't give you any more sons. This isn't said in the passage, but if we understand the culture, it's implied a Moabite woman is not going to have much luck finding a Jewish husband in Bethlehem. They were sworn enemies. There were not opportunities that they were going towards. And so Naomi's just being real about that. Now, I don't want to skip ahead to the end of the story where we're going in the book of Ruth, but I do just want to stop here to say we need to take note of something. Naomi is about as broken and empty as you can get. She's feeling old, wasting away, doesn't have much left to offer. The place she's going, she doesn't know if any hope awaits her there. I mean, she is the picture of broken and empty. I don't know if that's familiar to some of you guys. If if you can recognize moments in your life where you have felt like you're at the end of your rope. God, I'm broken. I'm empty. I don't have anything left. And I just have to say to you, Naomi is looking at this very practically and she's saying there's no hope. But can I just tell you, God can redeem the most broken situations in life. God does redeem in this situation. He does bring new life. In fact, Naomi doesn't even realize it. God is going to provide a husband through Naomi to one of these daughters. It's going to be an incredible story when we get there. And so we just need to put a pin in this moment and say, even in the midst of that emptiness and that brokenness and that loss, that feeling like I have nothing left to offer, God looks at you and he sees things differently. He says, you have something to offer. Hold on to me. Trust me. I'm going to do something powerful in your life that might shock you. But I can breathe new life into any situation. So there's Naomi. Now, what about these two girls? We already saw them reply once to say, we're sticking with you. But now it's gotten real. Like, let's just get real. There are no prospects and no hope. You should not come. How will these daughters respond? Verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. Notice it doesn't follow that by saying, we're going to stick with you like it did the first time. They just wept. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. Can you guys say kissed? Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Can you guys say clung? And she said, this is Naomi speaking to Ruth, see your sister-in-law has gone back to her people 
and to her gods, return after your sister-in-law. Naomi's giving us a picture of what we may have missed. When Orpah kissed her, that wasn't a kiss of, I'm sticking with you. That was a kiss goodbye. She's out, she's leaving. I've got a daughter named Abby. Abby's about 10 years old. Many of you here know Abby. If you, if you don't, let me just set the stage for you. My daughter Abby has Down syndrome. And one of, the, one of the wonderful benefits of having a child with Down syndrome is that they're incredibly loving and they're brutally honest. I mean, she just tells you exactly what's on her mind. So a couple weeks ago, um, I, I hear footsteps kind of in the middle of the night. It's not super late yet, maybe 9.30 or 10, but like she should have been in bed. And we had let the girls have a little sleepover in the bonus room that night. It must have been a Friday night. And when Abby runs in the house, you can tell, because it doesn't sound, it's not, it's not like a gazelle kind of just lightly galloping. It's like all her energy is just to pick her feet up and then they just drop. And so I just hear tearing down the hallway, run into her bedroom from the bonus room, like something is up. So I follow her in there and I realize like she had never put on pajamas. And so she was going to her room, had woke up and she wanted pajamas on. So I'm sitting there with her and she's picking out a shirt and she's kind of putting it on and, and she goes, I love dad. And I was like, oh, Abby, I love you too. She goes, no dad, the shirt, I love dad. And it was a t-shirt that had the word I and a heart and dad. Dad, I'm just wearing the t-shirt. I'm not actually saying I love you right now. We're not having this beautiful exchange of love. Just see the t-shirt. I love dad. And I mean, I, of course, I just, I did what you guys did. I died laughing when I realized what was happening to me there. But I, I find it interesting. I actually believe a lot of us suffer from this problem. We love the idea of being in relationship with people. We love throwing out words like, I love you. I'm with you. I'm committed. Like we throw these things out. But for many of us, it's just a t-shirt. It's not real. It's, it's so easy in our culture to just kiss people goodbye when, when it's time to be out. When it's gotten too real. When it's gotten too challenging or difficult. I mean, Orpah has all the emotional connection. She's crying real tears. There's no indication that this is phony. She's feeling something. She's emotional. She's attached, but she left all the same. Our, our relationships, our love relationships with one another, our committed relationships in our friendships, in our family relationships, they're meant to be rooted in something more than just an emotional attachment. Our society has become a culture of what's in it for me. I've joked about this before, but one of my favorite quotes is from the movie Field of Dreams. And this character goes through the whole movie. He's hearing this voice in the cornfield and he does all these crazy things like building this baseball field and doing all this stuff. And I mean, he gets to the end of the movie, he's done all this stuff, crazy, crazy things. And cool little random miracle type things are taking place as a result of it. And at the end of the movie, he's really disappointed that he doesn't get to go experience something. And he says, through all this stuff, everything you've asked me to do, this whole journey, I've never once asked what's in it for me. 
And the character Shoeless Joe Jackson looks at me and goes, what are you saying, Ray? He says, well, I'm saying, what's in it for me? <laughs> I never asked before, but I'm asking it now. What's in it for me? I mean, how far have we come from the days of JFK and his famous quote, ask not what your country can do for you. Does that define our culture and society? No, it's the exact reverse opposite. It's not even like we're just a slight step away from that. We've run the other direction. But see, this isn't just a problem in our society. This has trickled into our church life. I mean, you almost can't go on a church website or walk into church doors without them talking about relationship, relationship, relationship. It's like a buzzword. It's a thing we just have to say and hope it just somehow miraculously happens. It's going to happen by deciding to have real relationships with real people. I am choosing to know Andrew. I'm going to actively participate in getting to know him and love him and encourage him. I'm going to get real and open up my heart and life and, and I'm going to stick with it. I'm not going to hit the road the minute he says something sideways that just kind of irritates me and I'm out. Or there's nothing left that he has to offer me. I'm not getting much from this, so forget it. I'm out. That's what Orpah does. She, she loves Naomi. She cares for her. She has emotional feelings. But that doesn't last. That runs out. Things get difficult. And so she leaves. So I, I think it's worth just on our own. You know, we've got we to bring this down to the point where how does this impact me, my heart, my life? And just ask some honest questions. God, like, do I celebrate the idea of relationship or am I really investing in some people? A am I committed to walking in real relationships towards people. God, am I the kind of person that just at the first sign of difficulty, I just kiss and I'm gone? And then somehow kind of feel like, I loved them. I, I have feelings towards them, but like, am I in? Am I committed? In our friendships, in our family relationships, in our church community. And so we come to the third character, Ruth. Orpah kisses, Ruth clings. Ruth holds fast to Naomi. And I just, I love some of the things that, that we hear her communicate here starting in verse 16. As Naomi's telling her, look, your, your sister-in-law here has gone back to her people and to her gods. Look what Ruth says. Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Stop asking me to leave. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Whew. Now, I don't know how many of you are familiar with this book with how this story plays out. But can you imagine this story if Ruth had left? I believe God was still gonna tell a redemption story in Naomi's life, I absolutely believe that. But how different would this story have been? How much would Ruth have missed out on if she had not clung to Naomi? But see, she didn't do it for any of those reasons. 
she, she faced reality and she just said, I'm in. She said, I'm in. I'm facing the reality. I realize this might just involve me going where you go and staying with you till the day we die. And that's all that comes out of this. But I'm in. I'm sticking with you. And so she hangs in there with her. You know, last week we talked about holding fast to the king. And I believe one of the primary ways that we can learn to hold on to Jesus, to grow in our relationship with him, is through our friendships, is through our relationships with one another. And I, I got to tell you, for me, like I experienced this in a very real way. When I was 19 and 20 years old, I was, I was coming from a season of my life where I'd been running from the Lord. I had not, I was doing the opposite of pursuing a relationship. I was holding him at arm's length. And I'd grown up with a sense of faith and grown up in, in the church and knew who Jesus was, but I was not walking with him. And at 19 years old, I, I was hungering for something real. I was hungering for a real relationship with God. And one of the things that was a turning point in my life, all I, all I knew to do is there were a couple of other people that I looked at and I said, there's something real there. They love Jesus. I want to be around that. And so I purposed in my heart to just hang around a few people. One of them was a, a good friend of mine, a guy that was about my age named Brandon Kennedy. Uh, we met each other because our church was just slightly bigger than this meeting in a school at the time. And we were the only two guys about the same age. So I was like, oh, there's a dude my age. And we met each other. But I just began to fall in love with this dude. He was passionate about Jesus. And, and some of the distinct memories I have is at 19 and 20 years old, like we went to Florida for spring break when, we were, when I was 20. I think he was probably 21. And, you know, I know what pops in my head when I think of a 20 or 21-year-old going to Florida for spring break. And, and yeah, I was like, dude, yeah, let's go. Let's do it. He's got a free place to stay. And we get down there and we were like the biggest nerds. We're sitting on the beach with these old tapes of this old guy named Chuck Missler. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of Chuck Missler. I mean, just teaching through the Bible, like line by line. We got our Bibles open and we're just sitting there listening to this teaching, reading the Bible and just talking about it all day long. At one point we went golfing together and we were bored after like six holes and we we're like, eh, let's head back to the apartment. And we just couldn't get enough. I mean, my friend Brandon, this is, I'm not recommending this at all, but my friend Brandon went off the road one time driving because he would take his Bible and open it up and hold it on the steering wheel and try to, <laughs> like this dude could not get enough of the word of God. Now, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. But what I'm saying is it was contagious. He was hungry and it fueled me to want more. I also had a, had a pastor in my life that I looked up to. My pastor, Steve Berger, still my pastor to this day back in Franklin. And I just, I, I watched the way he lived. I watched the way he communicated. I was like, I got to be around that guy. And asked him if I could start hanging out with him and meeting with him. And for some reason, he said yes. Those were turning points in my life. Holding on to God's people changed me. And so I would just, I would just encourage you, you know, Ruth, she is the hero of this story, but she starts out as a foreign woman who doesn't know God. She'd been far removed from him, but she was drawn to Naomi. She saw something unique and wonderful in Naomi and said, I'm hanging with that gal. I'm sticking with her. There's no prospects of this turning out great, but there's just something about her. And so I'm going to be with her. And 
I don't even know how well Ruth knew God at this point. I'm guessing maybe not super well because she said, your God will be my God. But she's saying, hey, he'll, he'll be my God. I want to take him on as my own. And so she clung to God's people. So let's just step back and look at the contrast here. We've got Orpah facing the reality of the difficulty ahead, and she kisses Naomi goodbye. We've got Ruth looking beyond herself and clinging to Naomi. I believe the secret to good friendships is simply this. Don't worry about what you are getting from the relationship. You worry about loving your friends well. Another way to put it is, don't worry about who's clinging to you, just purpose in your heart to cling to some people. Find some people in your life that you're gonna hold on to. See, it's really hard to be disappointed in someone if you haven't heaped a bunch of expectations on them. My wife would have been done with me a whole long time ago if our relationship was based on a bunch of expectations she had put on me. She just said, well, He's a knucklehead, but he's my knucklehead. So I'll stick with him. I'm grateful to God that she has. I'm grateful to God that she has. The beautiful thing is, if we just project ahead a little bit in the story, Ruth and Naomi had no prospects that they were going to get anything out of this. Both of them only communicated what was best for the other person. And yet the two of them end up enjoying the fruits of this relationship and it goes beyond their wildest imagination. It's incredible to see. So those are the three characters that we can see in the story. But I said there was a hidden one. I want to show you this in, in closing here. If you're, if you're being honest with yourself this morning, everything we've talked about so far sounds great, and it's kind of like impossible. I mean, I, I look at friendship being defined this way and just go, Man, I just, that's unrealistic. I can't do that. I can't pull that off. In fact, all I'm thinking of is the ways I've done the opposite of this, where I've blown it. But we, we aren't called to do this on our own. In fact, there's only one who perfectly does this. And so I want to read back through with you the things that Ruth said to Naomi, but instead I want you to imagine that these words are being spoken by Jesus Christ. And tell me if this doesn't ring true. Verse 16, but Jesus said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And the only thing I think he would change is he would say, and my God will be your God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. Jesus has walked where we walk. He has lived where we live. He left his throne in heaven to come near to us. He is this friend. He united himself with us. He became like us. He was fully God, but he was fully man. He became human. He's a person. He walked the road that we walked and he did it for us. And yet he doesn't come down and take on our God. He says, I'm going to introduce you to the God. When you see me, you see the Father. He came to unite us back to the Father. Jesus did this. And he did die where we die, but he did it so that we could live where he lives. 
He goes beyond what Ruth is able to commit to. He goes beyond anything Naomi could do. Yeah, I'm going to come and die where you die, but I'm going to die in your place so you can then live with me forever. I'm offering my life. Jesus is this friend. And I think it's really interesting. There's almost a similar exchange between Jesus and Simon Peter that mirrors this exchange between Naomi and her daughters. It's found in John chapter 13, verses 36 through 38. Jesus has been talking again. It's another one of these moments where he's hinting at the fact that he's going to the cross and disciples are still kind of unsure, even though he keeps laying this out for them. And in John 13, verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me after. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. I mean, it literally sounds like a repeat of this Naomi-Ruth exchange. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Here's what I love about this story and about our Jesus. Jesus is the true Naomi. He's the true Naomi. He's the one saying, I am committed to you and I am working for your benefit. He's the true Ruth that holds fast and clings to us, that dies for us. But he redeems Orpahs. Jesus was right. Peter was going to deny him three times. As Jesus is going to his death, he denies him. And yet, Jesus redeems Peter's life and Peter becomes a Ruth. Apart from Christ, you and I are just like Orpah. That's the way we've been treated, first of all. We've been treated that way. We've been left. We've been ditched. We've been hurt by our relationships. And then what do we do? We repeat what we've experienced. And so we fall into this pattern of living life like Orpah does. But Jesus comes and he rescues and he redeems. He meets us right there where we are. And he says, I love you. I forgive you. Now come on. And he invites us into his life and he changes us. And because he is the best friend, I can learn to become a good friend. In Proverbs 18, 24, it says, a man of many companions can come to ruin but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That friend is Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your incredible love for us. God, thank you that you are committed fully. You are invested fully into a relationship with us. Jesus, thank you that you are the true friend that sticks closer than a brother. You never leave us nor forsake us. You're our refuge. God, we thank you for the life and the forgiveness that we have in you. God, my prayer for myself this morning and for my friends in this room is, God, would you work a miracle? Would you transform us from Orpahs into Ruths? God, teach us about friendship because first we're experiencing your friendship. You've loved us well. You've committed to us fully. And God, would you then teach us in you how to love sacrificially? 
how to become friends who stick closer than a brother. God, help us to hold fast to your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen.